Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Brown Skin, Brown Skin Speaks Radio. I'm your host for this evening. I go by the name Brown Skin. Tonight's episode is called Who You Calling a B-I-T-C-H, addressing issues um, appearing to most women at, um, happening to most women and young girls, street harassment. The catcalling, the sexist epithets, the grabbing, the following has become too commonplace in today's society. But two guests have been making a social change for other women, and they joined me tonight to address the alarming numbers of women being harassed, romanticization of street harassment in society and media, and ways to make women safer on the streets. If you'd like to join in on the discussion, please call in at 347-202-0591. I welcome my first guest. Her name is Holly Curl, street harassment expert, writer, and author of new book, Stop Street Harassment, Making Public Places Safe and Welcoming for Women. For 10 years, Holly has addressed gender-based violence and women's equity issues. Currently working for organizations such as the AAUW, a national women's equity nonprofit organization, she also volunteers her time on the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network's online hotline. She's contributed to publications such as the Huffington Post, Forbes.com, and AOL, just to name a few. Holly Curl continues to make her voice heard as, um, as well as others through her site, StopStreetHarassment.com. I welcome Holly Curl. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, of course. Thanks for putting on the show. It's a really important topic. Yes, yes. As I welcome my next guest, her name is Dr. Salami Shah Tillich, um, Assistant Professor of English and Africana Studies at University of Pennsylvania and the co-founder of A Long Walk Home, a nonprofit that uses art therapy and performing arts to end sexual violence. Her work has been featured in numerous journals, online magazines, books, and anthologies covering topics on race, gender, and popular culture. Having written and produced a warm-winning multimedia performance called Story of a Rape Survivor, She's been featured in documentaries um, such as No and award-winning film Rape Is. On top of teaching, writing, and mentoring, she most recently wrote the liner notes for John Legend and the Roots collaborative album called Wake Up. Author of Peculiar Memories, Slavery, and the Post-Civil Rights Imagination, and finalist for Glamour Magazine's 2010 Woman of the Year Award, I welcome Dr. Salam Ishad Talit. How are you this evening? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, and I'm excited to talk to Holly. I know. I appreciate you ladies for joining me this (laughs) evening. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, Well, let's get down to it. As I was reading some some, some excerpts from your book, Holly, um, one thing that kind of caught me off guard was um, a lot of people weren't, or quite a few people weren't familiar with what street harassment was. Um, Let's, I guess, Let's put a definition to it. What is defined as street harassment? And both of you all can answer the question. Okay. Well, yeah, there isn't a set definition, um, but you can find in the dictionary, like there is for sexual assault or um, like sexual harassment in the workplace or school. So it is um, confusing. But for a lot of people, um, define it basically as an easy definition is sexual harassment that happens in the streets or public spaces, but I really feel like it's more than just sexual harassment because, right. as you mentioned, it's the sexist comments, too, and 
it's um, leering, and it goes all the way to sexual assault. It's groping on the subway. Um, it's really a, a wide range of behaviors that are unwelcome, unwanted by women, and it's really motivated by their gender. Um, men are just doing it because they're female, and that's really the only reason why. Um, so some of the behaviors that I, I feel like um, qualify as street harassment is leering, it's the whistling, kissing sounds, vulgar gestures, sexist comments, sexually explicit comments, when a man's trying to block your path to make you talk to him, when he's following you, um, if he tells you to give me a smile, um, he starts masturbating at you or flashing you, and then, like I said, the sexual touching and um, even assault, sexual assault. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. Dillon, what, as, you know, you having an organization that, you know, helps young um, African-American adolescent girls deal with sexual violence in their past, you know, how, what do you teach them as, 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 or what have you been taught for street harassment and even, you know, leading into sexual violence? Yeah, um, we have a program called Girlfriends, and you can call me Salamisha for the rest of the oh, okay. conversation. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, it's fine. Um, but Girlfriends is our teen program, and it's a sexual assault prevention program, um, like you said, and we educate them to sort of be able to be peer leaders and social justice leaders in their communities. But one of the key components of our um, program is sex, street harassment. And, and sexual harassment trainings, and um, particularly, and Holly's well acquainted with this organization um, in Chicago uh, called YWAT, the Young Women's Action Team. They do, um, you know, peer education around uh, the state, but particularly in Chicago. And we feel like it's important for our young girls to see street harassment as part of the continuum of gender-based violence, right? So part of the issue is that it's seen as so benign because it's every day, and I guess that's one of the reasons why there isn't a clear definition of it. Um, but also it's the, the thing that they experience the most. So not all of the girls in our program have experienced sexual violence or dating violence, but 100% of them have experienced street harassment at such an early age. And so I think mm -hmm. that Holly, you know, her, her definition I think was right on because that's pretty much how most of the girls um, and, you know, the teachers who are adults have experienced harassment um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, why is it, you know, and I can think about it, and, and when I was, um, and I saw your tweet about this, Alicia, um Which was about, based on Holly's know, book. You, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you also have made a tweet that actually struck a chord with me, and you were saying, like, this was becoming something like a, a, a rite of passage for young women, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, it's disturbing because I found myself, you know, I live in New York now, and mm -hmm. there's not a night that has not went past mm -hmm. where someone would say something to me from, oh, I love your natural hair, to, hey, beautiful, to me now hauling ass on the, down the street to get to my house because there's a bunch of dudes on the corner, like maybe five blocks, you know, five houses away. You know, why is this dismissed as being a compliment or akin to being flattered? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I, Holly can sort of speak about it more, but one of the things that I see is it's not only being a if, if being a victim of street harassment is a rite of passage for girls, it strikes me that being a harasser is becoming a rite of passage for boys, right? So the ways in which right. courting um, is considered uh, to be aggressive is, is an act of courting, or to be sort of hyper-masculine is also seen as desirable. And so I think you have the two ways in which boys and girls are being socialized, and it's completely um, condoning harassment of girls as part of becoming an adulthood, becoming a sexual being. And um, it is really frightening that, for
for so many women and for so many girls, we can sort of go back to, you know, early adolescence as the, the moment when we were first harassed, and that becomes part of how right. we see ourselves as becomes women. I mean, I think it's really frightening, but also there's some really disastrous effects in terms of self-esteem, sexual agency, um, and how one relates to their own body and and their body on the street, so to speak, right? Like how one feels like they have to constantly protect themselves because they're under surveillance yes. is really damaging. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and, and it's actually led to, and, and, and how do you make some, some great points about this, um, to now women wanting to watch what they wear on the streets because they know, you know, they'll be going here or, or they'll be coming home late, to not even, you know, even wanting to um, go out anymore late at night um, or changing where they live and, and all this just to accommodate or um, or to avoid being harassed in a sense. You know, why am I being accommodating to a stranger or strangers? Um because I guess your safety's on the line, and, and that's a, that's a big deal. Um, now, uh, Salam, I know you know Salam shot your organization along Walk Home. It was co-founded with your sister, and you all provide an outlet for young women um, to heal from sexual violence uh, or assault, assault in their lives. Um, with you having been a rape survivor, you know how important um, were these programs or these anti-violence programs? Um, how have how 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 important were they for you? Um, to share with these women as well as just young women having an outlet to deal with it. Yeah, um, and I actually would like Holly afterwards to talk about, um, I think one of the great things about her book and her research is talking about how sexual assault survivors have sort of a different experience with street harassment. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, uh, you know, we originally focused our programming on healing from sexual violence, and SOARS is our, our main program, a multimedia performance, which documents my personal healing from sexual assault, but we really were committed to sort of prevention, and um, unfortunately, uh, teenage girls are the most at risk for sexual violence, and also, but have the least resources, right? The most sexual assault agencies have programs um, or sexual assault prevention agencies or advocacy agencies have programs for adults and for children. So there's this really vulnerable population of of young women who um, have may have already experienced sexual assault or or, or maybe um, at high risk for experiencing sexual assault. So to use my story or at least to use the multimedia arts and art therapy, things that I use to heal, and my sister Shahrazad Tillit um, is an art therapist, and a rape crisis counselor to pass on some of those skill sets to young women who are not survivors yet and hopefully never will be survivors and some of whom are sexual assault survivors has been a key part to our our sort of thinking about changing um, violence in their communities, their schools, and and in our our larger culture. Yeah. Holly, what was, um, as far as your your situation, what was what have you experienced, or at least uh, the the work that you've experienced with street harassment, and then also relating it to what street harassers or uh, people that have been victims of street harassment deal with differently than than than, than sexual harassment? I'm sorry, so can you repeat the last part? Yeah, no, I was saying relating it to Swami uh, Shah's story because I know you know being oh, a victim yeah. of street harassment is, is a little bit different mm-hmm. than being a victim of sexual harassment, but they, they right. coincide because one could lead to the other. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, growing up, I didn't know the term street harassment, and um, 
I was, you know, part of the socialization that so many girls go through where I just have been told, I was told that it was a compliment, but also, you know, to be careful, like when, um, and when I was 14 and I was out running by myself and a man was following me in his car and I went home and I was, you know, crying and really upset and so my mom bought me mace to carry with me. Um, and But otherwise, you know, the other forms of harassment that I, I experienced, it was really like, oh, that's a compliment. And, and I think um, speaking to the rite of passage for a lot of um, young women, you know, we're told that, basically, you know, the highest compliment is just man's attention, no matter if it's positive or negative, really. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes um, young girls who are also socialized to not brag may may not talk about street harassment because they feel like it might be bragging if this is actually a compliment. So I really didn't even go into conversations with people about this experience um, until I was in my 20s, probably, and in college. Um, I went to Santa Clara University in Northern California, and that was the that's the only time period of my life where I was harassed on a daily basis. Um, the rest of the time I've been pretty lucky. I've lived in suburbs where I have a car, and while you can still get harassed, like you know, in parking lots or while you're in your car, it's usually a lot less than if you are dependent on public transportation or walking. And um, for several years in college, I was dependent on public transportation and walking. I just was harassed all the time, and um, I I am a runner, and so I would go running every day and. Um, before I switched my class schedule so that I could go running first thing in the morning when there were fewer harassers out, when I would go running in later morning or afternoon. Some days I was harassed up to ten times during an hour run. Like, I would start counting. I would be so frustrated and upset. Um, And for a short time, I really actually just stopped running. Um, And other times when the harassment has been pretty bad um, with running, like I've gone to run on a treadmill, which I don't really prefer to do, Um, and, you know, this is in the scheme of life, like, that's really minor, but that is what sort of got me to start thinking about this issue in a different way, like, why is this happening, and this is so frustrating and annoying, and why aren't people talking about it, Um, and so the hollow back site started, I think, the year right after I finished college, and I was in graduate school, and so the combination of the two um, gave me the idea to do my master's thesis on this topic, which then led to my book, but it was really empowering for me to see hollow back, and at the time, stop the street harassment project still had um, a website with women's stories, and it was really great for me to see all these other women's stories who didn't like this and who were um, speaking out and, you know, had similar experiences, because I think a lot of women feel this, too. I I can see from the way they talk about their experiences in some of the stories, but, um, you know, you feel sort of isolated, like maybe this is only happening to you because you're not really talking Mm -hmm. about it with other women. So one thing that I'm really advocating for is, you know, conversations like this where we're talking about it, we're sharing our stories, and we're helping people who are experiencing this but don't really know why or don't understand what to do or don't know that this is a a social problem, help them understand all those issues. And then um, speaking to, uh, you know, the connection with street harassment and sexual assault, um, I looked at various studies where the number one fear for a woman um, as far as, like, crime or uh, just ways to be attacked is really rape. Um, And so we've always been socialized, I think, to really feel fear stranger rape in particular. And, um, you know, so that's this added context when women are harassed. We don't, um, so often men harass women who are alone. And in my um, survey, I found that that's when women are really the most fearful because they're like, I'm by myself. 
Um, and, you know, especially if it's more than one guy who's harassing her, she's like, what, you know, what am I up against? What if this escalates? And it's really this underlying fear of rape, um, especially if it's at night, it's a deserted area. Um, and, you know, even women whose stories um, I've read who said, you know, oh, this guy whistled at me, and it was, you know, I felt like it was a compliment. Within their story, they would say something like, he drove away, so then I felt like it was a compliment. Like, they were sort of worried there for a minute, you know, like when he started paying that attention to her, like, why am I being targeted? But since he left, then, oh, it's just a compliment, you know. Oh, nothing happened. I wasn't raped or I wasn't attacked. Right. Um, so I think that even that's, I think that's even still in the back of some women's minds who say that they like some forms of street harassment. And, um, and uh, you know, I've had stories from rape survivors who say that um, street harassment can feel like re-victimization because um, just like rape, it's a man putting, you know, exerting power over her it may not be physical yes. but it's you know it's exerting power to get her attention to make her feel uncomfortable to distract her from whatever she's doing and it is pretty similar but but then that goes to because you just I, I got a chance to view the video before I started acting up um and from what I saw you know um men in society of course see women as victims or submissive and the, the, exerting, um, the exertion of power, as you, as you were mentioning, but then men don't take responsibility for it either. And some of the things that mm-hmm. these men were saying was, oh, I can say the first thing that comes out of my mouth, I don't care how she feels, and if she doesn't respond, I'm calling her a bitch. Right. Whether she hears it or I'm saying it under my breath. But why is it that the women are the ones that have to be seen um, as, oh, she's the reason why she's getting all this attention from her clothes to the way she looks. Like, why am I getting, you know, um, reprimanded or, in a sense, being punished for my beauty or for what I choose to wear? And most of it's not even, you know, just as an example, like most women aren't wearing things that are provocative, um, but the men are blaming them for, you know, why why, why aren't women um, the victims in most of these situations? Why are men the victims or seen as the victims, shall I say? Uh, well, and I guess I also um, to connect it to, like, the larger gender-based violences um, that women are privy to or vulnerable to, it's the sort of same thing that women are often blamed for the violence done, whether it's street harassment or domestic violence or sexual violence, and yet women are also responsible for ending it, right, in society. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes this really, I mean, it's almost an impossible scenario. Um, And I think the video that, you know, we we, we watched beforehand, I think – well, it was also interesting. It was, it was from like the early 2000s, and yet it right. resonates still. <laughs> it's almost like um, some things have changed. Um, you know, Holly's book is making a difference, and yet the severity of street harassment remains the same. And so, um, mm-hmm. how can we, you know, galvanize this new moment to sort of end this obviously very old issue? Um, so, I guess that's always my thing with gender violence. Like, why are women the ones blamed for it? What you, what was she wearing? Um, what did she say? And and then yeah, right. when you speak out against it, there's um, almost punitive measures. You're called a bitch or you're yelled at. And then we're also, yeah. as feminists, supposed to organize again. I mean, it's, it's so difficult. It's, women have to spend so much time in, to end something that they haven't created that it's, it's amazing to me how few people seem to take these issues as seriously as, as they should. So that's just my little general point about gender violence, but student harassment clearly. No, yeah. <laughs> it's part of this phenomenon. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I think that all of those forms of violence and harassment are really effective ways for, you know, a small group of men to keep women in check. And the men who don't do it benefit, too, because, you know, women are too scared to go out at night or, you know, whatever yeah. reasons, we, you know, wh- however we change our lives because of this harassment because we fear rape. Um, that benefits men directly or indirectly because we're less competition for jobs, you know, night jobs or night classes or, um, you know, maybe there's fewer politicians out, um, you know, going door to door at night because it's not that safe for them. And so uh, I think, I mean, I, I hate to be uh, cynical, but I think that's part of the reason why women are so quickly blamed because it is an impossible task if we're the ones who are left to fix the problem when we're not the right. ones causing the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But, yeah, so we definitely need male allies who aren't the ones harassing to really step up to the plate and help on this issue and speak out to other men and put pressure on other men and um, help change the acceptability of this. Well, I'm glad you said that because I was, you know, now talking about media and entertainment and what you see, you know, I don't know if you all had a chance to, um, when the you know the MTV had a video music awards and Chelsea Handler was um, hosting it, but I guess the writers thought it was a funny skit to have her being harassed by in the very beginning um, black men smacking her booty um, as she was walking with the script, and you know um, from some of the people that you know I was having a dialogue with on Twitter that wasn't funny, and you know they have the laughing track in the background and everyone that's watching this thinks like. Oh, I think nothing of it, but you know, one I, I feel like you know black women are always being used as 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 easy targets as well. But I'm bothered mm-hmm. that they also kind of you know in a way they volunteer to to be in that role too. So you know, not only are you all usually blamed or targeted for a lot of these um, issues, um, you all wanted to be part of something that um, again, you know. Uh, romanticize the street harassment, you know, uh, do, are we blaming media? How did you all feel about that, if you, if you got a chance to see it? How did you all feel, or what was your take on that? I did see it, um, and I think I was so, like, there's so many moments on that <laughs> show. No, there was. There was a lot of moments on that show. <laughs> that were, like, um. offensive. Uh, but I, I do remember that. And, and what's interesting is that moment was so early, but it was part of the larger trend of a sort right. of, you know, ongoing objectification of women, weird racial politics with black men, sort of objectification of black male sexuality. A lot was going on with Chelsea Handler and, and race and gender. Um, but I think you're right to point out how, again, it, it and this is why this, this book is so important and, and talking about this issue is so important, because it, it makes something like harassment um, simple. It makes it something that's not something we're supposed to get up in arms about. It makes it uh, benign and it makes it natural and it makes it funny, right? So um, when you start a show off like that, um, it just reproduces the comfort people have with street harassment and not seeing it as really something that is, um, you know, it's so ridiculous that half or the majority of the population is the women. So more than half the population experiences this um, throughout their lives. And it's something that is so debilitating on uh, on some levels because Holly also talks about in her book how women how it actually affects um, you know people's work choices and, and behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we have something that's 
having such an impact, a negative impact, and yet on a show like, you know, the VMAs, it becomes something we're laughing at. It's, there's a big disconnect between the effects of street harassment and how we're right. taught to think about it. So. Right, right. Holly, what were your, what were your thoughts on it? Um, I actually didn't see it, and I tried to find it online without success. Mine, yeah. Um, but, figure. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, no, I mean, whenever I, I see street harassment. That, that wouldn't be online, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I see street harassment in the media, it, it is treated as a joke. And, um, you know, I, I had on my blog a few weeks ago, I talked about um, one of the Allstate Mayhem commercials, and it was where the guy who's the Mayhem um, character is running. He's, I mean, he's like shuffle jogging, and he's like, hey, I'm a hot babe, you know, trying to keep my body a perfect 10 uh, when you drive by. And so there's this, you know, young guy in the car driving by, and he's leering at her, and he ends up running into a lamppost and, uh, you know, wrecking his car. And then the commercial calls the woman, you know, the jogger, the mayhem, like she caused it. And I was like, you know, no, the guy is the mayhem. Like, he's the one who got in a car accident. Like, we see this all the time. Like, these guys leering out, you know, um, their window and slowing down traffic. And um, there was a terrible story about a year and a half ago in New York City where these two women coworkers were walking home, and these guys in their van were, like, catcalling and leering at them. And the the driver lost control of the car and hit them. And one of the women died, and the other was hospitalized. And so I'm like... You know, that's ridiculous. Like, these, this one woman is dead because of this man leering at her, and yet Allstate thinks that the women are the problem. But I got right. all these comments on my blog because people were searching for that commercial, so I got a lot of people who don't normally read my blog, and so many people were like, you can't take a joke. This is, you know, it's funny. It's, it's so lighthearted. Like, you have no sense of humor. And so I think that's such a typical way for a lot of people to see um, street harassment portrayed. Like, it's just funny. No, it, it is a big issue. The first thing, and the other thing I think about, too, is, is, is how um, a lot of the, the male celebrities, sports players, um, get off on this. Um, I remember... Mm. Um, you know, we, we talk about Kobe Bryant and his situation that happened a few years ago, but then I think his name is, you know, Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Um, he was accused, right, of rape, but all of a sudden you don't hear about this anymore. And But they, I mean, they butchered that Kobe Bryant story left and right, would not let it die, and then, you know, Roethlisberger all of a sudden, um, I think, what, did he get mildly suspended or, or something, yeah. something that wasn't as yeah. big as, um, you know, it's 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 another thing. You know, with with the office commercial and just all these different things. You know, what is it about? Um, it's almost I, I almost feel like when I when I see these things or hear these things, it's almost like a slap in the face to the women. Like, try us if you want to. This is male dominated. We will win regardless. Um, it, what what to make of that? You know, now you have male celebrities that are getting off when when they may in fact be doing these things to women. And yeah. because well, they have money, all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, well, I, I, guess, um, I guess there's two different scenarios. So one with Ben Roethlisberger, he was accused of sexually assaulting two different women in two different cities within the course of a year, right? And so right. the first case, there was no um, real, I mean, the woman, was, I think, was thinking about doing a civil suit and, and decided not to. The second case got more publicity um, uh, because there was an investigation and the, the, the DA decided not to pursue it because there wasn't enough evidence. 
but the actual, um, you know, his report is pretty damning. And, and so that's why Fidel, who's the commissioner of the NFL, um, opted to sort of suspend him for six games and it got reduced to four games. So here you have an example of someone who's accused of sexual assault, of rape, two different women within one year. And, and I agree with you that I think with the Kobe Bryant case, it was um, the media hype was very different than Ben Roethlisberger, even though right. one can argue that he did go through, uh, you know, a, a more formal criminal investigation. Um, but what I also think in terms of, like, street harassment and so, – so basically there's a culture of, of objectification of women in, in which celebrities, mm-hmm. particularly celebrity athletes, aren't really held accountable. Unfortunately, African-American men, um, when they are accused, there's more publicity, right? There's more of a, a public mm-hmm. response as opposed to white male athletes. And, again, mm-hmm. what's damning about that is the numbers are pretty clear that, you know, if one in four women are going to be sexually assaulted in their lifetime and 90% are sexually assaulted within the same – by someone in the same racial group, white women are being raped. And I'm sure there are many male athletes who are raping white women, yet they're not being ridiculed in the public in the same way. Either way, though, the athletes are getting off irregardless of race. So you see a patriarch mm-hmm. going on, but you have racial – differences in how the public responds. But I think um, in terms of the street harassment, the case with um, the, the the New York Jets and Inez Stan, mm-hmm. I think, was really telling both in terms of, uh, and I, I guess I can uh, briefly summarize it, and Holly, please jump in, because I'm sure you, you, know, you were following it even more closely than me, where there was a, a reporter who was trying to get an interview with the quarterback of the Jets. Oh, yes. And, yeah. Um, you know, she was tweeting, <laughs> this is where tweeting is interesting, about her discomfort, right? And then there were a lot of pushback from athletes, not in the Jets organization yeah. per se, but throughout the country. Then she also said, well, she didn't feel uncomfortable. In the end, she said she didn't feel uncomfortable, and she sort of pushed back against women's uh, organizations and, and women um, sort of sports writers or, or journalist organizations, right? So it's really a, a, a messy situation. But what I thought with her final response was, well, what's the benefit for her to really try to speak out against sexual harassment because there are going to be actual consequences for her if she's trying to get more interviews and have access to men's locker rooms right. the livelihood. So it was a real, and yet at the same time, I, of course, think everyone should be speaking out against this, and I was happy that at least the judge, you know, put the face of, um, you know, they're including, like, sexual harassment training now as part of their overall, you know, training. Um, but... I don't know how effective that will be, but it was a really, I thought it was a really complicated example of what happens when women do express discomfort with men objectifying them, even if in subtle ways, and the brouhaha mm-hmm. that came about, and then her eventual kind of, um, you know, not completely taking back the story, but at least saying that, you know, it was just, just blown out of, um, it, it was exaggerated, and she wasn't feeling that uncomfortable, and it wasn't that bad, you know, like, what, if she did say it felt bad, I wonder if she would be able to get interviews still. So, I don't know. What do you think about that, Holly? And I don't Yeah, know actually, I wrote that. Um, I got an op-ed published about it with The Guardian. And oh, yeah, she did, actually. Yeah, so she was my news hook, but I did really focus on how this, um, the, what she went through is common to women in the streets. And um, I sort of framed it like, you know, I, I waited a few days after the incident to, mm-hmm. to write the article mm-hmm. and I kept seeing all these people blaming her because of what she was wearing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and saying like that wasn't a big deal and stuff. So I sort of framed it like, you know, all these, like I'm surprised that people don't think 
that catcalling and whistling is a problem when, and, you know, that right. I cited different studies saying all these women don't like it, and I talked about some of the reasons why women don't like it. And then I also looked at, um, you know, I was like, look, she was in a locker room, and some of the men were like, get out of our locker room. Like, they were actually being aggressive. And in that context, I think the catcalls and whistling were a way to be like, this is our territory, and to intimidate her. And she said, you know, she felt uncomfortable. And I think that's what a lot of men do on the street. There's, there's, you know, I hear this too, like, okay, women are now allowed in schools and almost every, they're like in every workplace, but men are trying to, some men are trying to be like, you know, the street's still our turf. Like men are still allowed to congregate on the street corner, but you don't see groups of women congregating anywhere. Like it's still male territory in that way. And so I think that's a big similarity between what she experienced in the locker room. And I also made the point, like, if she had come in and there had been one man, would he have whistled at her? It was sort of like the showing off to each other that I think um, a lot of street harassers do. Like, the woman is irrelevant in a way. Like, it could be any woman. It's just the fact that they're showing their masculinity off to each other. Like, oh, look at me, I'm so macho, and, you know, I'm such a player, I'm, like, you know, whistling at this woman or asking for her phone number or saying something inappropriate to her. And it's really at the end of the day not about the woman. It's about um, impressing the friends. But um, so, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, finish. Oh, I was just going to say, so in this Guardian article, like within a few hours, there were 340 comments. And it was mostly men at the beginning, again, being like, what was she doing in the locker room? It's all about her clothes. Like, they didn't even read the rest of the article. They just, like, saw her photo and targeted in on that. And it was, like, almost irrelevant because so many men were just upset that she was in the locker room. And I'm like, that's not her call. Like, she's a reporter. Reporters are allowed in there. If you have a problem with that, don't blame her. Blame, you know, the institution. Right. so frustrating that they couldn't get past that and to understand that this is an issue that so many women experience. But it was really nice. Um, that was my first op-ed with The Guardian, and the editor is a male, and he really, you know, he was on there, like, trying to get people back on track and being, like, you know, just basically calling them out on what they were saying. And he, I, I usually try to ignore the comments because they're so terrible, but he asked me to sort of do the same thing. And um, another uh, contributor to The Guardian, like, came on because they have a special letter by their name, so that's how I knew who he was. And he was also, like, trying to get it back to this topic and being like, you know, this is something that affects your sisters and your mothers, and, you know, like, this is a real issue. So, anyway, that's, I feel like I went on a tangent there, but that was my take on the whole incident. Yeah, you know, I, you know, know, I, I kind of forgot to say that, sorry. <laughs> <It was> good. <laughs> no, because I was, I was thinking about this, she says, let me shout it. I think is if she you know, tweeted about this, and everyone knows when you live tweet, mm-hmm. like, this is how you're feeling right at this moment. And if right. I'm it, I wonder what was said in between that for her to go back and say, oh, it was going out of proportion when maybe X amount of time ago you just said, no, they are eyeballing me as if I'm walking around naked in the soccer room when I probably have on a suit um, and just a microphone, you know. So I, that's what it makes me thinking about and, and, and the consequences, as you said, um, right, so they're probably right. going to scrutinize her uh, next time for an interview. So they'll probably make sure that she's probably not in the locker room and, and, and you know, um, or maybe not use her next time and use someone else. So Right, yeah. Um, yeah, which is unfortunate because I know this is something that she enjoys doing. And, it, and, it, and then it becomes limiting in positions for, for, for women, you know. So women can't be sports writers now because they can't go in the locker rooms or they're going to get, you know, scrutinized for being in a male locker room or blamed. Yeah, and it comes up every, like, 
I don't know, six years or so with a, woman, a female sports <laughs> writer in the men's locker room. And, you know, at this point, I'm like 2010 and we're still having, I mean, this is the set where we're these kind of conversations, right? Like, all reporters have access to locker rooms. So many interviews are taking, take place in there. Um, and it's just a no-brainer. So, but I guess it's back to this issue of the ways in which street harassment and, in this case, sort of sexual harassment affects yep. women's um, labor choices or affect, yeah. you know, where they can work, how they can work. Um, and what also struck me, and this is, you know, in terms of my sexual violence work and as a rape survivor, just, again, that language about what she was wearing. I mean, it, that's the right. red flag. It's always, again, the blaming of the woman. What was she wearing? If she was sexually assaulted, what was she wearing for her to get, um, you know, oh, harassed? You harassed? Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how yeah. consistent that language is, which is, again, you know, just about um, ways of sort of controlling how women move about in the public space, their job options, their, how free they can feel with their bodies. I mean, there's just so many different layers to controlling women, um, and this is so, you know, it's obviously part of it. But it's amazing just how it's the same thing, right? What was she wearing? <laughs> was right. Right. By that. No, you, and I think you made mention of, in- of layers. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's so insulting to um, men who don't harass and who don't rape women, too, because if, if the logic is, oh, what, men can't control themselves when they see yeah. women dressed a certain way, like, no, yeah, uh, most men can control themselves. So the idea that they can't is just totally insulting to all the men who don't engage in that sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I, I I find myself, um, now that I'm so conscious of it and it's happening to me often, like I will check my guy friends, like if we're out and about and you're like, hey, sexy, I'm like, do you expect her to really respond to you? She probably gets harassed every single night and then you saying that to her is not making her feel any more wanted or any more entitled to want to speak to you. You know, men don't really think about it. They And then they wonder mm-hmm. why these women aren't talking to them or looking their way. So, um but, no, I know you mentioned layers, and I, I want to do, uh, walk through your book, Holly, for those that, that may not have read it or, or have seen it yet. Um, but you, you even talk about layers or, or, or the facets of the problem, and you mentioned three um, different contexts, um, or you explored three different contexts, one of them being the culture of gender inequality, you know, women being seen as sex objects, and you talk about the context of rape culture, and then those two combined, um, you get the last one, which is the victim blaming what women are blamed instead of, you know, men perpetuating it. Um, do these layers um, exist because we're living in a male-dominated society, or are there other reasons why um, these two contexts are what they are when it comes to street harassment? Yeah, I mean, I wrote this chapter um, it's called Men Cat Call, Men Cat Call Men to Context Matters because... Uh, just on different mainstream, when street harassment is covered by the mainstream media, I always see these men like, well, women can't call toward men, and you're being sexist by not talking about that. Or, you know, I would love it if some woman would compliment me on the street. And so these were the three ways that came to my mind as far as how this, a woman being harassed by a man's experience really differs um, when a woman may harass a man. And I think I can add to that the, the volume, too, um, I, you know, I have talked to a couple men who, you know, have been catcalled by women, a group of women or whistleback. And it's like, you know, they can name like five instances in their whole life. And I'm like, okay, women can name like, so many women can name five instances in a day or a week or a month. And that volume mm-hmm. just adds 
such a different meaning. Like if you're constantly barraged by this, you just don't want to deal with it. And that's actually something that I found um, interestingly when I filtered um, for, for the women in my survey who said that they felt complimented when a man whistled about them compared to women who said they didn't. And one of the um, differences was that the women who said they felt complimented weren't harassed very often. Um, so I, I like think that, that that really makes a big difference. And so, I, yeah, I could add that as one of the other contexts that really makes it different when um, a man experiences sexual harassment and is whistled about. Um, but, yeah, the other three, you know, you know it's just those contexts, Sorry, I'm like repeating it, but they make a difference um, in, the, in the way that women experience it than a man would experience it, I think. Well, what were some of the uh, male responses that you got? Because I know you got a chance to interview males for your, for your surveys. What were their reasons on why they did um, do these things, catcall or, or try to bring attention um, from a woman on the street? In my survey in particular, um, almost no men admitted to it. So I didn't really get a lot of good information. So I, I could have wow. relied more on some of the other studies out there. Um, there was right. one, and they're, they're older. One was, like, from was it, early 1980s. Um, two women basically just turned around and asked men who harassed them why they were doing it. And that's similar to um, the War Zone documentary where uh, Maggie Haddle-West went around with a video camera and basically turned it yeah. around on the men and asked them why they harassed her. And... Um, also, Marty Langland, who's uh, done a lot of work on this in the D.C. area, um, in her book, she has uh, her books, um, Back Off, How to Confront and Stop Sexual Harassment. Um, she had a little bit of information. And it, it, the reasons vary, but a lot of it is like, uh, I can't remember which one of you said, but um, just that so many men don't even think about it. It's just like they've been so socialized that this is what they're supposed to do as a man, like to show their manliness, that they don't even know why they're doing it. And they just say it. Um, and they have no idea how it makes women feel. Um, and some men say that they're trying to just compliment a woman. And then they're, um, I know in the survey uh, from the early 1980s, it was like 15% of men said that they were purposely trying to upset the women. They were purposely trying to make them feel bad and scared. Um, and then there were about... Yeah, and then there were about 20% of the men who said they wouldn't have harassed a woman except that they were with their friends, and they're just showing off for their friends and joking around. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it sort of varies. But I, I feel like an underlying reason really is this need to um, show their masculinity. Um, right. And so that's why I really enjoy, not enjoy, but I really appreciate the work of, like, Men Can Stop Rape. Um, because they're working to change that definition of masculinity um, and show young men that, they don't have to act like idiots. They don't have to harass women to be men. Um, being respectful, you can still be a man. Yes. I actually read, and I, and I have to remember the link. I might have to put it on my blog um, from from a, a gentleman that I follow. On his blog, he actually talked about hypermasculinity and how it hurts men, mm -hmm. too. And um, I think he was referencing in his article that how um, a father ended up killing his son because he was trying to say, you have to be a man about it. You have to be a man about it. Um, so, you know, um, it, it's just, just how patriarchy hurts men, hypermasculinity does. And, and, and I don't know where men get the, the idea uh, that they have to be, oh, I have to be a man about this and I have to be a man about that. So um, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's just, it's, 
it's overwhelming, and, and, and men have become so desensitized to a lot of these things and with you saying that they don't even think about it. Like, what do you mean don't think about it? This could be your wife, your daughter, your sister, mm-hmm. you know, your mother, and, and you're not thinking about it. You would kill a man if they disrespected your your girlfriend or your sister. But why isn't it not the same when you're talking to a woman that you think is attractive on the street that you don't know? Yeah, and I, I guess I want to add another element to it, too. Um, yeah. This is, this is sort of speaking about men who are homophobic, not all men yeah. who are homophobic. But, you know, if you sort of, when, you know, you, you put the issue, as, as Holly pointed out, if you say if a woman cat calls you, how do you feel? And, it's you know, it's not a really sort of strong response, a strong negative response. But oftentimes I've seen situations where homophobic men who are hit on or they think they're being hit on by another man, that it's the it's this really violent act, or at least they respond in such a way that how dare this person uh, disrespect me this way, or how dare this person objectify me in this way. And so in those moments, I realize, well, it's not so much that they don't get what objectification feels like. It's just that they're choosing to sort of ignore, or they think that women are um, naturally yeah, persons yeah. Who, yeah, who are supposed to be objectified. Because just the vehemence around sort of... Um, with certain men when they're approached by another man or they suspect being approached by another man, that's that's harassment, right? They're, they're responding to a perceived mm-hmm. harassment, and yet right. they don't necessarily translate that or refuse to translate when it comes to, um, you know, sort of uh, the harassment of women. So, I don't know, I just feel, feel I always notice that, and I, I never know what to sort of do with that other than think about that as like a teachable moment. But I also think yeah. what you're pointing out too is like just again how boys how becoming a man in our society and a heterosexual man in particular means um, one has to sort of think about women as objects and you learn that as an early age and what men um, what men against men stopping rape sorry they, they do really well is that they are unlearning or trying to teach boys and men how to unlearn these behaviors and these thought patterns and so it's terrible that people have to unlearn something that they didn't actually have in their you know, minds from birth, right? They learn it through culture and society and through families. Um, but it's it's good when people are organizing to end it. But, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there about the ways in which women are seen as the rightful people or the right people to be harassed as opposed to men being people who are supposed to be harassed. So. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I hope that was clear. Now that you're no, talking yeah. about that organization, you know, um, men actually – need to get involved and, you know, with these organizations, how do we educate men? You know, we have the organizations, we have the, compa- the campaigns, but how do we get them to take their, their behavior more seriously? Um, well, one, I mean, obviously it's sort of men modeling, um, you know, uh, pro-feminist behavior and mm-hmm. it being considered uh, as not unmasculine, um, but actually a sort of expansive, um, wonderful expression of their masculinity. Uh, I know for us, we're really interested in starting a boys program um, that's the counterpart to our girls program, our teenage girls program, just because we feel like, you know, this issue of whether it's street harassment or domestic violence or sexual violence, um, while women are the primary victims, men are the primary perpetrators. And so we can't end these things without... Um, real solidarity from men, um, and part of it's retraining, and part of it's um, sort of enabling men to kind of set the terms of these debates 
and, and changing um, the culture um, with each other, right? And sort of, and that's what men can stop rape. And there's different organizations, but men can stop rape is the one that you were referencing earlier, Holly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I know they do sort of single sex or all male um, presentations, and then they sometimes do co-ed ones. I mean, I think that diversity in their workshops is really important um, for men to be able to talk about these issues in a situation where they have women as leaders but also have men as leaders. So those are just some, like, basic ways. But I know we're really, you know, with teen boys and trying to figure out a way to get them involved isn't as hard as one would think because there are students who are really interested and open to ending violence. It's just, you know, coming up with creative ways to attract them is what we've been trying to focus on. Right. And I would just add Um, that I think it's so important for women to just share their stories, too, with men in their lives so that they are aware that this is happening so that it's not this invisible problem women are left to deal with so that we um, sort of invite the men that we know care about us to help out with this issue and say, look, you know, this is something going on in my life on a daily basis. I need your help if um, if you, you know, care about me or um, if you care about the safety of other women you care about, um, if you want to help the women you care about. Um, and so I think also giving them tips on what they can do when they see harassment happening. Uh, in my book, I have a section where I reached out to male allies and said, you know, what can we do to reach other men? And and how how would you advise them if they want to be bystanders if they see this harassment happening? And they give really good advice um, for both if you're, you know, sort of with your group of friends and one of them looks like he's about to start harassing a woman nearby, just either uh, if it's if you can, try to stop him right then. But if not, you know, talk to him later about why that may not be uh, appropriate right. and say, you know, would, like I think we both have been saying, like, do you want your sister treated that way? Would you want your girlfriend treated that way, your mother? Um, and get them to think about it in that context. But in the context, also, yeah. Um, yeah, but just also give them the, the accountability to intercede or to ask the woman if she wants help, to help empower the woman, too, so you're not just like, oh, well, here I am to the rescue, but empower her to say, like, do you need help? Is this man bothering you? Or call for help or, you know, report him if it's on public transportation. Get someone, um, a person of authority there or if it's, you know, some guy harassing and he's on his job. Um, I had a really great story from a man in England who said he'd read my blog and he had noticed that as he walked with his coworker to work, every day they went past the construction site and these guys were harassing his coworker. So um, after reading my site and all these different stories, he went up to them, asked them to stop harassing the woman, and then also when he went to the office, he wrote to the company and, you know, explained what was happening and asked that it would stop. Unfortunately, he never wrote back to say what had happened, but I saw it as a huge step. Like, he was like, oh, I can do something about this. And he went and talked to them, and he reported them. So I, I think giving guys that opportunity to help and telling them we need help will make a difference. And, you know, I think guys will step up to the plate. Yeah, I want to share a comment from one of the listeners. Um, she goes by the name Golden Silence. She also said another reason why men harass is, for a power trip, you know, men on the street that don't tend to feel as if they have power in society um, look at this look at this as their way of getting power by harassing women. And I said this is so true. Um, the, just everyone's power tripping for some reason. Um, it's sad. It's really sad. Um, but with with us having this space to talk about it, and what do we need to do? Like you know. We don't want it to die with this conversation, you know, what, you know, men, women, child, 
listeners, where do we go from here as well as as, as women that have been harassed or, you know, um, no other women that have been harassed? What, what is it that we need to do to keep this going? Um, well, and Holly, um, I think, will, um, in terms of organizations that are doing this, um, be able to be a great resource. But one thing, and, and this is something like it's a dream project of mine. It hasn't happened. It's not in motion. But back to this issue of um, the ways in which we can use sort of the arts to address these issues uh, as both yeah. intervention but as a way of telling one story. Um, what a dream project Shahrazad and I have is, you know, with sexual assault, but I actually from this conversation I'm thinking about with street harassment as well, is women sending in the clothing, like doing a sort of a national exhibition of clothing that women wear when they're a victim of gender violence, particularly street harassment and sexual assault, because those are the ones that are so targeted, right, with what they're wearing. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's all sort of a myth, right, because women are wearing whatever. They're wearing all sorts of things when they're um, victims of these things. And so how can one sort of just speak truth to silence through the the arts and and then tell one's story consistently and encourage young people, because I'm really interested in the people who are the most vulnerable and have the least resources, how do we help organizations like YWAT in Chicago or different youth-based groups um, take on street harassment as, as part of their mission? And how do we also get schools to keep vigilant about ending uh, harassment as part of a safe environment for their students, right? Because there's all this attention, obviously, around gun violence and other forms of violence that take place in the school, but street harass- or sexual harassment sometimes gets put on the back burner, even though it creates a really unsafe environment for students. So I feel like in terms of both policy with young people, it just seems to be, I don't know, I feel like this is is a high priority, Um, and working with young youth organizations to end street harassment is kind of my particular goal. But Holly, I'm sure your book masterfully shares a lot of (laughs) resources. Well, Salmi, it's interesting you talked about the clothes because that's one of the – campaigns going on in India is the I Never Asked For It campaign. Um, there, a lot of victim blaming happens if women are wearing Western clothing. Um, mm-hmm. So their campaign is to particularly show, again, that women are wearing everything and they're still getting harassed, anything. Um, yeah. So they're working to collect 1,000 articles of clothing wow. to do in a traveling exhibit. And actually, we, um, I, I, met, I did a phone call with the um, organizer of that in March or February, because I wanted to bring it here, but it sort of fizzled out, and I, I, I would love to work with that, with you on that. Um, oh, great! Because I think you. it's so important. <laughs> so that's that. So yay! Yeah, uh, that's amazing. I didn't know about that in India. I'm so amazed. <laughs> this is so cool. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so blank noise. They're the ones doing that, um, but oh. I think it's totally uh, relevant here and everywhere. Um, but, yeah, there's there's so many great organizations working on this issue. Um, but I do agree that really reaching out to the youth is important. And, I mean, for example, in Lebanon, which uh, wouldn't strike me as a place that would be working on this issue, th- this year they have a new campaign about sexual harassment, and they have a cartoon character called Salwa um, directed at, you know, young people and showing that um, you can respond to sexual harassment. You don't have to put up with it. It's um, speak out, don't be silent. And the little vignette shows her being sexually harassed, and she, um, not that I condone violence, but she hits the, the man, and he turns all red, and she walks away, you know, proud. Um, so it was, you know, this message of, like, you don't have to put up with this. And in Egypt, 
the Egyptian Center for Women's Rights has been doing a campaign for about five years on this issue. And one of the things that they've done has been to reach out to teachers and to social workers and to provide them with manuals um, and teaching materials to talk to youth about street harassment. And they've created a five-minute video, too, um, a cartoon aimed at young people. Um, and then I know Girls for Gender Equity is um, another group that's reaching out to young women and girls. Um, and they, uh, the youth actually produced a 20-minute documentary about street harassment, which is fantastic. And in 2007, they created a one-day summit on street harassment that was targeted at high school students, and it was free and open to the public. Um, and then there's a group in Atlanta, Hot Girls, I think, and Helping Our Teen Girls is what the hot stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, one of the things that, that was interesting um, that the young women did there was they created their own anti-street harassment songs to, like, the tunes of popular songs because um, they felt like that was a really great way to reach out to their peers. So there's, uh, you know, there's so many more uh, organizations, yeah. organizations <laughs> and ideas, but those are a couple that yeah. are reaching out to youth that I think are really cool and that we can learn from. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Ladies, I, oh, go ahead. You were going to say something? No, no, I was just saying that was, that was, it's wonderful. It's such a, it's a good to know that this is like a, to be reminded that this is not just a global um, crisis, but there's a global resistance movement, right, going on at the same Absolutely. time. So, that's yeah, good. yeah. Um, well, ladies, I'm so graciously humbled that you all were able to join me this evening. Thank you so much. Um, now, if you want to find out more information on these phenomenal women, you can check out their website, um, Holly, yours is StopStreetHarassment.com. Is that the best one for you? Yes. Okay. So StopStreetHarassment.com. And so mm-hmm. Alicia is um, AlongWalkHome.org, um, as well as you all both are on Twitter as well. <laughs> yes. Holly Curl and uh, – or H. Curl, excuse me, H-K-E-A-R-L mm-hmm. for Holly. And this Lamisha is S-A-L-A-M-I-S. H A H. Did I spell that right? Yep, you did. Thanks. I, I did. Okay. The power um, of Twitter is this conversation. <laughs> I know it is true. The power of Twitter. Um, I have to thank these ladies and the listeners. You can catch this episode and other archive shows on my website, brownskin.com, spelled B R N S K N, and it's also podcasting on iTunes by searching Brownskin on your iTunes store. Um, if you have any ideas for any other show topics, email me at info at brownskin.com. Again, thank you ladies so much for joining me, and you all have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for putting right. us together. Thank you. No problem. Okay, bye. Okay, y'all have a great evening. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay.